while back, I was at home on a Saturday morning, and I was visited by two men from a familiar religious group who wanted to share with me about their belief system. And I let them, and I I noticed that, that many of the terms they were using were familiar to me because there were terms used by, my, by me and by other believers in, in Christian circles. But because I had studied about world religions and cults and seminary, I knew the major differences between myself and them, but I let them finish, and then I asked them a simple question. I said, tell me this. What do you believe to be true about Jesus? Then we began to talk about who they believed him to be and what the Bible teaches. And it's amazing how them answering that one question just completely cleared the waters. The answers they gave were telling. The answers they gave revealed to me that we were on completely different pages. For example, though they believed Christ to be significant, They believed him to be a created being, yet scripture teaches that he is supreme and creator. They believe and teach that Jesus is less than God, yet scripture teaches that he is God. And I shared with them what I believe to be true and what the Bible teaches, and I believe we both left that conversation on that day knowing where we disagreed. And, you know, at first it it wasn't evident But when we got to Jesus, it all became crystal clear. Here's my point. It's so important when talking to people about what we believe and why that we center on Jesus because everything hinges on who we say he is. That's what Jesus was getting at when he said, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Believers, there is no question more important than that one. We must have this. What we believe about Jesus nailed down. And no one understood this more than Jesus' disciple, John. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. This morning, we are starting a new sermon series entitled Knowing Jesus from John. And for the next five to six months, we're going to be taking a a chapter a, a week out of this great book, and we're going to answer this question each week in the chapter that we're in. What do we learn about Jesus from this chapter? Now, as many of you know who have read through the the gospel of John, you know it's not possible for us to discuss every little detail in every chapter if we just take a chapter a week, all right? So, so what I want you to do, what I want to encourage you to do is follow along in your spiritual growth guide and make sure that you read the entire chapter through before you come so that we're, you know, you're not skipping anything, not missing out on anything. And then what I'm going to do each and every week is I'm going to bring what I believe to be the main points from each chapter to focus on, okay? But before we begin, let's do a bit of background into the book of John. This is very important. Let's first look at the authorship. Authorship. I believe that John wrote it. Now, that information doesn't come from the book itself, 
because in the book he remains anonymous, but those from the early church were all in agreement that John was the author. A little bit about John. John was a, a fisherman from Galilee who was called by Jesus to be one of his disciples. And we also learn in the book of Acts that John became a prominent leader in the early church. So that's a little bit about John. Let's talk a little bit about the audience now. Though John does not specifically state the audience in his book either, uh, many scholars believe, like the book of Revelation, that, that John also wrote his gospel to Christians living in and around Ephesus. John spent the majority of his life and his ministry there, so it's likely that, that this letter was originally intended for them, and of course it has larger audiences today, right? Yeah. The date, uh, conservative scholars date the writing of John between 80 and 90 A.D. It is thought to be the latest of the Gospels, the, the last Gospel written of the four. Uh, John was one of the younger of the uh, disciples, so he actually lived throughout the end of the first century. So it's, it's given a later date here of 80 to 90 A.D., sometime in between there. Uh, the type of book, John is one of four gospel books. And remember when we went through Matthew's Christmas story, I, I told you that it's important to note when we mention a separate gospel book that we're not talking about four separate gospels here, okay? There is only one gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is a singular message, yet there are four separate records of it. There are four different perspectives given in it, that each writer gives with different audiences in mind, but each telling of the person and work of Christ. It's also important to note that the gospel books are not biographies. You find, as you read through each of these gospel books, that they do not give us a complete account of Jesus' life. We have accounts of his birth, one mention of his childhood in Luke, and John takes a unique and completely different approach at the beginning of, of his book by taking his audience all the way back to the very beginning when talking about Jesus. Then each writer jumps ahead into Jesus' earthly ministry in his 30s shortly before his death. So there are large amounts of information that are missing from Jesus' life. But again, that's not the purpose of these books. These books are written for redemptive purposes, for redemptive reasons. These books give us a detailed information on the great lengths that God has gone through to save sinners. They discuss Jesus' incarnation, his earthly life, his mighty acts, in his suffering, death, and resurrection. They give us a record of specific things about Jesus' person and work that are beneficial for our salvation. They are books that give us a saving knowledge of God. That's what the gospel books are meant to do, especially the book of John. In fact, John's reason for writing is specifically stated within this book. Did you know that? Toward the end of uh, chapter 20 of John, turn over there now, chapter 20. Look at verse 31. John tells us the reason he wrote this book. He says this, These are written 
so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John tells us, this is why I've written the book. This is the purpose of this book right here. I have written what I have written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John shows us here that he has salvific, redemptive reasons for writing this book. He has written this book so that those reading might believe in Jesus and have life in his name. Again, like we've said already, John is not some sort of unbiased biographer here. He's not. And that's very important for you to keep in mind when you read through his gospel. He's an evangelist. He's saying here, I have written what I have written to convince you that Jesus is the Christ and I hope that you, by reading my gospel, will believe in him and have life in his name. And that's my purpose in this series. It is. I hope and pray that for those of you all who are believers in here, those of you who are already following and already trusting in Christ, that you would grow in your faith as you grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus through this series. But I also pray for those of you all in here who are here week in and week out, who are not following Jesus, who are not trusting in him for your salvation, that you would be convinced through this study that Jesus is the Christ and that you would believe in him and that you would have life in his name. That's my purpose. That's my hope. That's my prayer for this series. All right? So let's get into it. Let's get into this study. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 1. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 1 through 14 this morning. And what John does here is really just introduce us to Jesus here. So I'm going to really treat this first sermon here, this first chapter of John, as an introduction to the series. And in our passage this morning, I want us to answer two questions. Number one, who is Jesus? And number two, what has he done? Number one, who is Jesus? Well, John shows us who Jesus is in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. And he shows us this. He shows us that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He is the eternal Son of God. Look at verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Folks, we learn a lot about Jesus here right off the bat. I mean, these verses here are weighty. They are. Notice John begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word. Now, why does John refer to Jesus right off the bat as being the Word? That's kind of odd, isn't it? Here's why. Because word used here is another way of saying revelation. And that's exactly who Jesus is. He is the revelation. He is the revealer. He is the one who has come from heaven to earth to make something known. He has come from above, below, to instruct us on the deeper things of God. He came to shed light 
upon the person of God, the purpose of God, the will of God, the mind of God, the heart of God. Jesus is the revelation of God. And notice that John says here that the Word, the Lord Jesus, was in the beginning with God. In other words, Jesus is eternal. He is eternal. That's what he's saying here. Notice the beginning of of John's gospel sounds very familiar to another book, doesn't it? In the beginning. Where do we hear that again? Yeah, in the beginning, right? In the beginning of the Bible. Genesis, in the beginning. Yeah, both books start with this phrase. So we see already how unique John's gospel is, how unique his book is, because the other three gospels don't go back that far, do they? Mark just stays, you know, in and around the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, and, and Matthew goes back farther to his birth, and Luke goes back before his birth even farther. But John goes all the way back to the beginning, and he shows us that Jesus existed before the beginning. Verse 1 can literally be translated, when the beginning began, the word Jesus already was. In other words... Jesus has always existed and will always. Go as far back as you want to go. Knock yourself out. Jesus is there because he's eternal. Notice also that Jesus, not only is is he eternal, not only do we learn that in these first few verses here, but we also learn that he is the second person of the Trinity equal to God the Father. John says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is a great verse that tells us a whole lot about Jesus here. This verse tells us that Jesus is distinct from, yet equal to, God. He says the Word was with God. With suggests distinction, because to be with someone is to be distinct from. From them. So the Word was with God, yet is God. John says the Word was with God and the Word was God. You have distinction, yet equality in oneness. This is very key for us to understand the doctrine of Christ and the doctrine of the Trinity, right? The doctrine of the Trinity teaches, the Scriptures teach, there is one God. And this one God exists as three persons father son holy spirit all three are equally god they are one yet they are distinct from one another in person father son and holy spirit now why is it important for us to nail this down about jesus right off the bat why is it important for us to understand that jesus is god he's eternal second person of the trinity why because if he's not None of the other points really matter. Don't. In fact, if he's not God, the second person of the Trinity, nothing else in this book or in life matters. It doesn't. Who cares about what Jesus has done if he's not God? In the Old Testament, they were always offering up these sacrifices. Sacrifice upon sacrifice. Many Many sacrifices. Why? Why so many? Because none of those sacrifices, none of those animals could ultimately save anyone. They couldn't. So they sacrificed them over and over again. Like it says in Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away our sin. 
No animal, no creature can save anyone. So they had to, they sacrificed him over and over again. Looking forward to the only one who can truly save us. And that is God. So if Jesus is not God, there's no point in really talking about him. Because if he's not God, then he cannot save us either. Scripture clearly teaches us that he is God. And because he is fully God, get this, he is able to fully and completely save us. All the sacrifices in the Old Testament did, they did nothing more than just point forward in faith toward the perfect sacrifice to come, the Lord Jesus. That's what they did. So that's the first important truth that we have to nail down here about Jesus, that he is the eternal son of God. And it's very important that we affirm this. It's very important that we nail this down because if he's not God, listen, we don't have a savior and we don't have salvation. That's key. Second question John answers is this. What has Jesus done? What has he done? Well, there is a simple yet magnificent answer. And here it is. Jesus has created all that is, and he has provided a way for those who trust in him to be right with God. It's a little lengthy, but it's still pretty simple. Right? <laughs> You'll have time to write it. Jesus has created all that is and has provided a way for those who trust in him to be right with God. God. First, he has created all that is. He is creator. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, if anybody ever tries to take you to the scriptures to show that Jesus had his beginnings and and he was not eternal, you take them to this verse. Because if all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, then he could not be made, right? If he made everything and not, not, and, and not anything was made that he didn't make, then he couldn't be made. He couldn't be created. Are you with me? It's key. Jesus is creator. John is telling us here that Jesus is the creator of all things. There has not been one thing created that has not been created by him. Now, some of you are probably thinking here I, I you know i thought the father was the creator i've always pictured kind of in the beginning that it's god the father doing all the work and jesus is just kind of hanging out if he's there at all well here's the way the bible explains it the bible tells us that god the father was there at creation directing and planning it but the scriptures also tell us that it is the son who carries out the father's plan and actually creates I like to think of it in this way. The father is the the architect. He is the planner. He comes up with the master plan and the son is the builder. He builds and he creates. God the son is creator. Now there are a lot of verses that other than just this one in John 1 that support this. John 1 is really all we need, right? But, but there are other verses that we have as well. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, and you have these in your connect cards. You can mark them there. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. 
The writer of Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. The main point the author is is making throughout the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is supreme over everything. He's supreme over the angels, over the priests, over the prophets. And he says here in verse 1, he says in the past, the way God has communicated to us is through the prophets. But in recent days, God has not communicated to us through the prophets, but through the prophet, Jesus Christ, through whom he, the Father, created the world. Also, Colossians 1, 15 through 16, Paul tells us, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were what? Created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were what? Created through Him and for Him. Paul is is talking about Christ, the second person of the Trinity. He says all things were created by Christ. They were created through him and created for him. So, So we believe, folks, believers, that Jesus is the creator. Everything has been created by him. Now here's where it gets a little tricky for us, for some of us. When many of us think of Jesus, we we just think of his beginnings on Christmas Day. We really do. When we think about him or when we make reference to him, we, we make reference to his time just here on earth, his birth to his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. But what John and Paul and other authors tell us is that when we think about Jesus, we're not just to think of him as a baby on Christmas Day or as as a rabbi or as a man on the cross, but as the one who precedes those days and as the one who created everything. Now, why is it important, other than the fact that it's biblical, that we affirm that Jesus creates Why do we need to view him in this way as creator? Well, let me illustrate why. And I know I've shared this with you before, so bear with me, those of y'all who've heard this story. Um, But but it's a good one. It it really illustrates the point here. I heard a story once about a guy who was leading worship at a Young Life camp, and he was going to lead this song called Light the Fire. Any of y'all familiar with this song? Light the fire in my soul, fan the flame, make me whole. Well, anyways... This guy's up there, and he's, they, they're practicing, getting ready to, to go on and, and, and lead worship. And a guy who's sitting nearby, here's this guy playing the song, and he said, hey, man, you're not playing that right, you know? You need to slow it down a little bit. You're going too fast, and instead of playing it in this chord, you need to play it in that chord. Well, little did this guy know, but the person leading the song, Light the Fire, had written the song, Light the Fire. Now, how embarrassing would that be to correct the person who wrote the song? Imagine that. What if that were you? What if you had written this song that, that was popular and you're playing it and someone says, hey, man, you're not playing that right. What are you going to say? You're going to say, who are you to tell me? How's to be played? I wrote the song. Get this. Christ is creator. He came to earth to tell us how things are going to be. He came to tell us 
how we're supposed to live and who we're supposed to live for. And even though we have our own agendas and want to go at life on our own, Jesus created the world and us to live in it. So who are we to question him or to go against him when he tells us how we're supposed to live? You get it? Someone's the Lord of your life this morning. The question you need to ask yourself is this, who is it? Who's the Lord of your life? Is it you? Or is it creator, king, Jesus? John wanted his readers to remember that when thinking about Jesus. He, he is to be thought of as so much more than a baby in a barn. So much more than the son of a carpenter. So much more than a skilled rabbi. So much more as a man on a cross. He is our creator king who demands our allegiance and our praise and our obedience. Not only is he our creator, but he is our redeemer. Look at verses 4 through 5. John tells us, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You all know the story of creation, right? How when God first created the world, things were good. Everything was good, especially man's relationship with God. But all of that changed when man chose to go against God and go at life on his own. And as a result of that sin, the consequences of that sin were both death both physically and spiritually our relationship with God was severed but the great news that we find in God's word is that God did not quit on us he didn't he could have he could have but he didn't instead God reached out to us again through his son the Lord Jesus so get this by God's plan and and through Christ's hand we were created but also by God's plan and through Christ's hands, we are redeemed. How about that? John says, in Christ was life, both physical life, he's our creator, and spiritual life, he is our redeemer. He goes on to say in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Once again, though the world had been darkened and dominated by sin, God sent his son, Jesus, to push back the darkness in our world and to bring light and life. Now, how does this happen? How does God provide light and life to a dark and dead world? Well, first, by sending a witness of the light. Look at verses 6 through 7. He sends a witness of the light. There was a man sent from God whose name was John not talking about himself he's talking about John the Baptist he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him he was not the light but he came to bear witness about the light picture this there had been 400 years of silence before the ministry of John the Baptist the world was dark and dead without a prophetic voice for almost half a century and then in God's perfect timing, he brings John the Baptist onto the scene, into the world, for the purpose of preparing the world for the Lord. To show the world 
once again that, that God had not washed his hands of his people but wants to be known and worshipped by them. John came to get people's attention, to draw people back to God so that through his testimony many might believe and follow the Lord Jesus and have life in his name. And that's what we're called to do as well. It is. Believers, we're called to be witnesses of the light. We are. As believers, we, like John the Baptist, have a job to do. Jesus called for us to be his witnesses. And the reason why is because in a, we live in a world that does not know him. We live in a world where people have rejected him. Look at verses 9 through 11. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Listen, the reason Jesus came, and the reason we are to bear witness of his coming to earth, the reason that we are to tell of the true light, who stepped down into a dark and dead world is because the world, though created by him, does not know him and has even rejected him. And we know that to be true, right? We really do. Most, if not all of us in here, know at least someone, whether it's a friend or a family member or a co-worker or a neighbor, who have openly and outwardly rejected Christ. Folks, I bet if we began to submit names of people that we're associated with that we know in here right now and pass them forward, we could reach a thousand very quickly in a matter of minutes. A thousand people in a matter of minutes who do not know the Lord Jesus just in this room. The reason why is because though created by him, there are many in this world, many in our lives who do not know him and who have even rejected him. Folks, I pray that be motivation for you to go out and be a witness for him in hopes of, like John says in verse 12, some will receive him and become children of God. Second way God provides light and life to a dark and dead world is not just by sending out a witness of the light, but by coming into the world himself, by taking on flesh and by dwelling among us. Look at verse 14. Great verse. John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is a key verse in our Bible. The Word became flesh. The eternal Son of God who has existed with the Father throughout all eternity, who has created all that is, who is equal in person to God the Father, took on flesh and became a man. He became one of us. The God of this world chose to enter into the world he created as a man, as one of his created beings. And I know I mention this all the time, but I love it. The way the message puts it, the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. It says, and, and the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. It's what he did. He moved down the street. He came and he tabernacled among us. He walked with us and he talked with us. 
He was with us. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate God the Son leaving the riches of heaven and, and coming to earth and dwelling among us. We celebrate Emmanuel, which means God with us. But not only that, not only is it important that we remember Emmanuel, that God dwelt among us, but it's also imperative for us to remember that, that he gave his life for us. That's key. It's imperative that we realize this because this is what had to be done for us to move from darkness to light, from death to life. So when you think about Emmanuel, don't just stop there. When you think about God taking on flesh, don't just stop there. When you think about God becoming one of us, don't just stop there. You're to remember that the human body that the Son took on, it was crushed and it was pierced and it was crucified for you. And that the human blood that was flowing through our Lord's veins was poured out for you and for me. That's what Jesus has done. He's provided a way for us through his death and resurrection for us to be made right with God. That's what he's done for us. Maybe you're here this morning. You're one of the many I mentioned just a moment ago do not know the Lord up to this point in your life you have lived your life apart from and opposed to him you have rejected him listen it's not too late it's breath in your lungs life in your bones it's not too late I invite you right now to turn from a life that is opposed to him and give your life to him I guarantee you it's the one decision you will never regret making. Again, like John says in John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you have not, I pray you would today. Receive Christ as your Lord. Receive him as your Lord today so that you can be given the right to become a child of God. Let's pray.